This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And good afternoon. It is uh, five minutes after four o'clock. Good to have you along here. Aliyah Varani is the pro answering all of your questions, whether that's email, help at employmentlawyer.ca, or the phone lines ready to go as well, 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. You want to call in this afternoon with your questions. Don't be bashful, something about COVID-19, you're off work, being laid off work, or just a regular severance question, or anything of that matter, bring it on. It's where you spend, you know, eight hours plus every day of your life. It's uh, the majority of your time spent at work, even more probably than entertainment and your family. So you got to know the common law. you got to know your rights, and there's a, a good way to start doing that, listening to the show weekly, of course, but making that phone call and reaching out, 604-280-9898. We will get to what you need to know about employment agreements, and if time allows, we'll also get to employment law red flags with Aaliyah today. But my pal, how are you? you got something to, do, uh, to discuss off the top. What's going on? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you very much for having me again. I um, definitely like to start off with a little bit of a review of what I've noticed from talking with clients in a past week. Um, sometimes I see certain issues pop up again and again, and I figure that maybe by sharing it a little bit with people who may be listening right now, if it uh, happens to you, you know how to recognize it and what that means if you're ever let go or if you're ever in a situation where you need some advice about what to do. So, um, a couple of the things that I noticed in my past week is I, I kept coming across clients who had, they had left long-term employment where they had been doing quite well after having some conversations with a new employer who maybe had reached out to them on LinkedIn or had contacted them and set them up with some of the representatives and had a couple meetings with them. Maybe they took them out to lunch and told them that they had great opportunities, something that they think would be a great fit for them. And you know, the client that ended up speaking with me was excited, but maybe hesitant. And then they would ask some questions to their new prospective, you know, employer about what the job would entail, what duties they would have, or how long they could expect to be in this position. And maybe after a series of promises or um, something beyond mere the mere, you know, regular conversations you'd have with someone when you're starting a new job or, or interviewing for a position really somebody encouraging you to join their team and to have you on board and tell you that it's going to be a place that you can expect to be for a long period of time. Sure. Well, after a couple of months or um, in some cases, maybe just shy of a, of a year, um, these two individuals were let go and they were really taken by surprise because it had come after this long, sometimes months long um, series of meetings where they were assured that this would be somewhere they could expect to be for a very long time. Um, and that, uh, that's called inducement or kind of like a representation of sto- a job stability that ended up not being the case. And if you are let go in those situations, it's very important to remember that um, that could impact the severance that you're owed because um, it goes to the length that you could have expected to be in, your, in that job. And when it ends up not being true, then you do have um, a corresponding right to have a little bit more severance when you have to unfortunately look for that new position because it's... You know, it's very unexpected. Um, it's understandable that you would be caught off guard in that situation. And, um, you know, employers have to be very careful, I think, when they make those representations to people because they could um, unwittingly have themselves be put on the hook for a little bit more severance to those people if they end up um, not having it work out for whatever reason. 
when it comes to uh, when it comes to inducement in a company, because saying you know they oh they they maybe not promise you the world, but they make it pretty attractive for you to uh, to switch teams and go somewhere else. At that point, before you sign, that is a time you have some leverage, is it not? And there you can and and by that I mean you have some time to sit down with someone like yourself, or if you have some employment law knowledge, if you're in this situation, to to. Maybe throw a couple of bargaining chips your way if you know if you want me so badly and and you're the one who's trying to pull me out of my current employment. Well, then throw me a bone. Maybe I want this, this, and this, so we can negotiate some things. Would that be the proper time to do it? That's a fantastic point to make. And not only do you have the ability to negotiate certain terms in your employment agreement, and that's a fantastic time to do it if you're in that situation. You know, things like the waiting period for being enrolled in benefit plans or. Right. Um, I, and I hope to talk about this a little bit later if we have time, but um, you know certain um, terms that could be included about non-solicitation or non-competition that you can um, ensure that you have um, say or input or even remove them altogether, that's a fantastic time to do that. Of course, your salary, that's an obvious one that people have a lot of leverage to negotiate if there is those types of inducement situations. But not only that, I think going more particularly to that concept of inducement, a fantastic thing that you could do if you're um, presented with that situation is to say to your employer, well, why don't we have it written into the contract that I'm going to be here for X amount of time? Um, and that kind of shows that there was that you know, meeting of the minds uh, when that contract was being made, that that person was going to be there for a long time. And in fact, when you get um, let go in that situation, then you can get severance for that full period that you had um, employment promised for. Is there ever any, uh, do you have any leverage, say you're let go from this job, you've been induced by uh, by another workplace to come over there, they let you go shortly thereafter. Does your previous service with another employer, which you were pulled away from, does that enhance your severance of all, or is that completely part and parcel, completely different, rather? No, that's a fantastic, um, that's actually also a fantastic point. What that goes to yeah. is, that's part of the test that uh, uh the court, our court system uses to determine whether inducement was present. And if you've been, say, for example, at a previous employer for something like 10 years or 20 years, which is the yeah. case of some of my, my clients, then they're going to look at the um, types of conversations this new employer had with you. And, um, you know, especially if you were at the new employer for not a very long period of time and you mention that you did have that uh, promise of job security and stability, then that certainly will go to the finding that you have been induced to leave that previous, you know, long-standing place of employment. Um, so that's a very good point. It is definitely important in that, cer that cer uh, certain circumstance. You have questions, comments, bring them on here for the afternoon uh, over the next hour, at least almost the next hour, 604-280-9898, the way to call in, talk to Aaliyah. Ask your questions. It's simple. Get some answers. There's probably dozens of people wondering the same thing you are every time we do this show. So do everybody a service as well. Okay, what you need to know about employment agreements. Number one, why are they so important? I mean, we touched on it with inducement, but why else are they so important? Oh, there's a well, there's a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, not only is it helpful to have things like your title and job description, um, certain specifics of your compensation and benefits plans that you're enrolled in or you can expect, any probationary period if that's going to apply to your situation or if you have a system or the policy in place for reimbursement of expenses those types of things are always helpful to have written down because the first place anybody will go to look is to see if you have something written between you and your employer and um, it can really um, shorten the debate or the search if you have that explicitly written down um, i think a lot of those terms, for example, the process for getting your expenses reimbursed and the fact that you do have them reimbursed, that's helpful for employees. 
Um, certainly your title and your job description, especially if those, if there's any risk of those changing or if you have any issues surrounding that, it helpful to have, it's helpful to have clarity on those two terms, mostly for employees, but the rest of the terms, um, that are in employment agreements, such as, you know, a term about severance, that's traditionally not going to be, uh, that's not going to be as favorable to have um, if you're an employee. And I'll explain why. I think the next question maybe goes into it a bit. Uh, it does indeed. So, uh, you know, some people, and this is counter to what most people would think if they'd never heard this show, and that is what is better when it comes to an employment agreement? Just a handshake deal? Good, you start Monday. Good, you have you long. Or the 10-page document that gets flopped on the desk in front of you. Most people would say, no, no, I want as much detail as possible inside that document. But not the case. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So this is, you know, this is one of the things that I think is helpful to tell people about because while, like we were saying, a lot of those terms are going to be nice for employees to have, you know, the reimbursement policy for, you know, any expenses that you get to recover from your employer or maybe your job title or your job description, just so in case your employer starts to make changes, you have that, you know, firmly written down. Um, the true limit there or the true uh, term that you need to watch out for in a written employment agreement is going to be that term about severance. And so it kind of is counterintuitive, but it's much better a lot of times for an employee to have a handshake deal rather than a 10 page employment agreement because that severance term is so significant um, and it has such a significant effect on uh, what happens if you're ever let go. Um, because if it's drafted properly, then it can um, it can limit you to what's called the Employment Standards Act minimum entitlements, and it's really not a lot of severance. And so, um, while those other terms can be helpful for you, a lot of times they can be implied, or you can find them with reference to how you've been acting. You know, between you and your employer, for example, they pay you a certain amount on your pay stub every week. You can pretty much imply that term as being, you know, what your compensation is. Um, but things like your severance, if that's written out into um, a termination clause, then you're not going to be able to get that back. And so it's much, much better to have just that handshake deal. And welcome back to it. Good to have you here this afternoon. And uh, take the next step to reach out and ask some questions. Something's got to be on your mind as far as your job is concerned. Maybe it's a temporary layoff thing. Maybe it's a COVID-19 vaccine thing. Don't hold back. Ask Aaliyah here to answer those questions. 604-280-9898. It's uh, 417, so you got lots of time. It's a beautiful time to get on the phone and ask those questions. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we're going to continue with what you need to know about employment agreements. If you've ever signed one, if you got one sitting in front of you or you think it might be coming down the pike, you've got to know. You've got to know your rights and what to look out for before you put your, uh, your John Hancock on that. Uh, and that's exactly the next one. I mean, what should employees watch out for when signing those agreements? Because usually it's like, okay, that's the, okay, that's the job I was offered. Oh, good. I got my vacation I asked for. Yep, that's the salary. Okay, we're good to go. And it's, it, that is just just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Most people are you know, in that state of mind where you've just gotten offered a job and you're very excited. And the last thing you're thinking of is, what are the implications for me signing this agreement? Um but you know it's an important time just to take one second to review. Like you said earlier, you can negotiate a lot of these terms and it's a perfect time to do that before you sign your agreement to anything. Um, a lot of these are really easy to check for. For example, you can ensure your past years of service are recognized if this is, you know, for example, the same employer who's asking you to sign a new agreement partway through your employment. In that situation, you may wanna see if any other terms um, or responsibilities have changed. That's a very specific situation where you may be asked to sign an agreement. Um, in general, when you're um, signing on for a new position, you may, in the context of COVID, want to see if 
the agreement includes any terms about your employer's ability to surveil you at home. Um, if they provide you with a company laptop, for example, to see if they have that expectation that they can do that. And you may want to have that reviewed to see if they have done that properly. Um, you may want to look at any, we mentioned this again briefly, but non-competition or non-solicitation clauses and uh, discuss with your employer whether the timeline or the geographic locate uh, limit to those clauses are, can be negotiated down. A lot of times they're very broad or very long um, and it's not necessary really. And it's helpful to have that discussion, you know, um, when you're signing that agreement. Uh, of course, your termination clause is going to be a very important one because like I said, that's a that's usually the most significant limiting term in an employment agreement that an employee can um, can you know kind of agree away, and so it's helpful to just kind of be aware of those clauses in um, you know in that moment of excitement when you're presented with a new employment agreement, just to take a quick look over. In fact, it's not a bad time to have it looked over with counsel, uh, just to prepare yourself really and to arm yourself with that information and knowledge, um, you know, uh, before you make any decisions that could affect those rights. The number again, 604-280-9898. Is that uh, how you call in this afternoon? We're talking about what you need to know about employment agreements. Do you have a lot of leeway as far as negotiation is concerned? And, you know, it's fine, I guess, Lee, if someone's just offered a, a, a job, an employment agreement here. Good to have you mm-hmm. along. You start on Friday. You need to sign this first. But if it's a case where you've gone through one, two, maybe three steps of interview process, it's down to you or down to you and one other person, they decide on you. I'm assuming they've gone through that much work and resources to find you and pick you. That would give you a little more uh, leeway as far as negotiation is concerned, right? Yeah, you absolutely do. I mean, you shouldn't um, discount the fact that uh, going through that process to invest in someone is a huge cost. And if you've made it that far, then it never hurts to ask, uh, particularly because a lot of those terms can be easily negotiated. Um, you know, things like benefits coverage or, um, you know, your employer may have an RRSP plan that vests after two years of employment. Maybe it vests immediately if you need to leave or if you're terminated without cause. Those types of things are really more administrative and can easily be changed. And you honestly won't know if um, unless you ask. Um you do have negotiating power. I think the problem is is that a lot of people think that they don't or they're not aware of what they could ask for. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that you have those options where maybe it's, um, for example, you lengthen the probationary period time or you remove the probationary period altogether, um, you can have, uh, like you said, you know, the fantastic one would be waiving the, the waiting period for enrollment and benefit plans, or even the sal- your salary alone, or your bonus entitlement, your annual bonus entitlement, um, you really can negotiate a lot of those terms. It's just a matter of the creativity uh, that you have, or um, you know, again, if you want to seek advice, that's certainly a great idea to do at that time to see how you can make the existing terms just a little bit better for you in the long run, and it could have a huge impact on your job and your um, security and stability in that position. So we'll fast forward a bit. You've signed an employment agreement without advice, or maybe you just heard the show and go, oh boy, I've already signed yeah. it. What do you do? Now what? Well, um, again, it's always better to get advice before there's a problem or at the beginning of any sign of a problem. Um, I'll give an example. A lot of times this comes up in the context of what's known as a constructive dismissal. Um, maybe uh, your employer is making incremental changes to your job description, and especially in the context of covid Um, This was happening 
I think we saw in extreme ways where um, something that an employee was being asked to do did not look in character and substance, anything like they did before. And, um, you know, uh, they want to know if they have any remedies against their employer. And luckily they have an employment agreement that lists, you know, maybe their job description or their job title. Then, you know, that, that would strengthen um, something like uh, a claim for constructive dismissal. Um, if you're having issues, it's always helpful just to get that advice. But um, if you've already signed something and you want to know maybe, um, is it accurately drafted? That's always helpful too, because you may be in a situation where you're in trouble, but the termination clause that your employer is trying to rely on to pay you minimum severance, there there's a mistake with how it was drafted, or there's some sort of situation that was present when you signed that employment agreement that means that um, it doesn't apply. Um, that can help, um, you know, it can help to have it reviewed because even though you do have an employment agreement, it may not apply to your circumstance uh, unless it fits, you know, kind of specific legal rules. So it can be helpful and worthwhile to get advice even if you've already signed it, I think is the main thing I can say, because even though you have one, maybe there's a way that that contract doesn't apply in the scenario that you're in. Well, I think it's, you know, it's also the situation possibly where, um, you know, it, it may be a less sophisticated employer and, and they literally may have grabbed an employment agreement document off of Google and just searched for it and said, yeah, that one looks, that one looks like clean and tidy. We'll just use that and get someone to sign it. But it may not have no legal recourse legal water might not hold legal water at all right yeah exactly so it's always important to have that reviewed with somebody that um can pick out what was supposed to be the case and where the mistakes have been because a lot of those agreements can be very restrictive they can kind of in an effort to be um, something maybe that uh, clearly outlines each person's roles and responsibilities they can really overreach um, i've seen contracts that say that an employee is not entitled to any severance, for example, or that an employer can change what their duties and description of, of what their job is at any time for any reason. And if those are um, clauses that are included, they can be a little bit overreaching and that contract won't apply at all. So even if you have signed something without advice, it's never too late to get somebody to look over it to see if that clause that maybe is causing you some problems isn't um, going to apply. And um, maybe if you have some other options, what you can do or how you can use that employment agreement to, um, you know, to solve any issue that you may be having. There's just always some options if you um, if you get advice to review it with somebody. To uh, to call in for the remainder of the show this afternoon, 604-280-9898 and to reach out an email to us or any other time, help at employment lawyer. .ca. Want to get into employment law red flags? Want to bounce over to a quick email? This one from Patricia says, Hey, Leah, our department is being shut down and I'm going to lose my job. I'm scheduled to go on maternity leave in a few weeks. Can you explain what happens to my severance and mat leave in this situation? Wow. That's a great question. So I can see that that would be a concerning situation. Maybe you're wondering what the security of your job is while you're away on mat leave. Mat leave yeah, is one down, of those right? job. Yeah, so it sounds like maybe there's a concern with the employer shutting down, um, you know, during your maternity leave and maybe not having that period of time where you can return because, of course, maternity leave is a job-protected leave where you are supposed to have your job kept yeah. for you while you're away uh, for the period of time until you can return. So if there is a concern with your employer simply, you know, not being able to operate and shutting down entirely, you, you are still entitled to severance and they would have to be very careful that they made it clear that it wasn't at all related to 
um, your mat leave that they terminated your position. Like they truly would have to be not in operation. Um, and it's not a, simply a matter of say terminating you while keeping um, other people, especially people who have similar jobs to you employed. So you'd wanna make sure that um, you're not being treated any differently during that time. And certainly to know that you, ha you still have an entitlement to severance regardless of the fact that you're on mat leave. Um, and in fact, your employer should be very careful about um, how they treat you while you're on mat leave um, uh, to ensure that they're not taking any negative steps against your employment in particular um, if they are going through some troubles. Because unfortunately, that's what I've seen a little bit of the time, um, at least with some of my previous, um, some of, you know, pre well, of course, previous situations that get brought to us usually because they result in issues. Yeah, it's you. You're pretty much if it's a you know paternal maternal a parental leave overall is pretty well protected. There's not much they should or sh can be doing to somebody who's off on a parental leave. If they're going to let you go, to your point, I think it's 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 more of a uh, a reasonable thing if it's the entire department say that's being shut down for whatever reason and you you happen to be part of that department it sucks but i mean that's a lot safer as you say than just saying you know what we're gonna pinpoint you you're the one who's out of here because we're shutting down but no one else gets gets the boot right just because possibly you're on a parental leave correct exactly so that's just an issue i wanted to signpost of course i'm thinking kind of worst case scenario and i hope that that's not the case and potentially not even an issue that patricia mentioned but Mm -hmm. I think the two things you want to think about is one, you're absolutely still entitled to severance. And if they are going through difficulties, you want to make sure that you're not being treated any differently just by virtue of you being on that leave. And then lastly, if your employer is not op operating, you know, they truly can't be operating. It's not a matter of maybe, um, you know, saying that, for example, they don't owe you any severance at all because they can't operate when in fact that right. they are. Um, yeah. So just just to make sure you're aware of that. Yeah, welcome back to it. It is 4.33. Lots to go. Leah is your uh, contact this afternoon and any time for that matter. You want to reach out if you're too bashful or something comes to mind after we're done this particular show today, you can always uh, give her a call. 604-283-3123. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And as mentioned uh, in the last segment, uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, that is a free and anonymous website. There is tons of employment law information on there about uh, wrongful dismissal. Are you, are you not a contractor? It goes on and on. There's even a section on disability law because those two uh, sections of law cross over quite often. And I'm sure you've heard that before. So that is, uh, that's on the website as well. And the severance pay calculator. Is there any time you want to figure out what your severance would be? If the uh, occasion uh, would arise, you would let go of your job. You will know precisely what you were owed. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Free, anonymous, anytime you want. But phone calls here and now 604-280-9898. That is how we roll. Feel free to give us a call for the remainder of the hour. Okay, red flags when it comes to employment law. Aliyah, let's get to this one. Despite many stellar performance reviews, your employer puts you on a performance improvement plan. That's got to be fun. What do you do? Yeah, that's so you have to remember, I see a lot of the worst situations possible for employees. <laughs> so you hope that this never happens to you. But if it does, it's very important that you recognize it very early so that you can do certain things to protect your rights and just make sure you have your side of the story recorded. So um, that can make all the difference when things go south and you need to solve a problem quickly because that's the goal. Um, and there's little things that you can do that can help you do that. Um, let's say you are in the situation. You know that you have done your job for a long time very well and you've got the performance reviews to prove it. All of a sudden, maybe there's a new supervisor, somebody you don't potentially get along with. It's a very popular one that I hear. Um, for the first time in your career, you're given a negative performance review or you're put on a performance improvement plan 
and you know that it has something to do just with this new supervisor and it's not actually potentially your performance. He's somehow or she's somehow finding everything that you're doing is wrong, even though you've done this very well in the past. Well, if you do get a performance review that, you know, um, instigates this performance improvement plan and you're given feedback that you don't think is fair or accurate or there's some contextual situation that maybe describes why that was the case, um, but was conveniently left out of the performance review, it can be very helpful to send an email that basically explains what the context was um, and maybe um, gives a little bit more information about uh, where that feedback came from and why that may be the case um, and say that in an email to your supervisor or even the HR um, department if you have one in your company. Um, so it's very helpful to do that because let's just say later you are, um, it can oftentimes this can um, precede an employer terminating employee for cause and unfairly so, uh, perhaps related to poor performance. There, it's very, very hard to do that in general, but yeah. let's just say that that's a, a, eventually what happens. This can just help resolve that problem a lot faster in showing that um, that criticism was not warranted um, in addition to the fact that that probably isn't going to support a termination for cause anyways, but it is a popular thing that I see happen and that is one tool that you can have to um, solve it if that is happening to you. Don't you often tell your clients as well that when it comes to, you know, anything in the workplace like that, so, you know, a, a performance plan that's been thrust upon you or, or anything else that happens to you in the workplace, if you disagree, if you if you don't think it's right, it's, it's one thing just to keep it in your head or even say to the boss, I don't agree with you, but it's another thing completely to have contemporaneous records of it. So you should email your, your uh your discourse and say, you know, I don't, I understand I'm on a performance improvement plan or I've been docs pay for whatever reason. I disagree with, uh, with this for this, this, and this reason. You should always have some sort of reasonably permanent record of it. Should you not? It's very good idea to do that. Exactly. So by email, um, a lot of times I'll hear from people later thinking where they said, I thought this at the time and I, I, or they'll say, I had this conversation and I mentioned this at the time. And I said, well, you know, we're going to we're going to do what we can do now, but it would be great for anybody else who's listening um, if they are in that situation to follow it up with an email because it can really solve you some problems later, make it very clear exactly what was going on at the time. And also it just tells your side of the story. There is a way to have that communication very respectfully and um, not, uh, you know, have that turn into a, dis you know, something acrimonious, but can simply record your side of the story and, your and ensure that, you know, your voice as an employee is heard. And it can also just make it very easy to see what was going on. If for whatever reason, um, nobody expects or hopes that they're in the situation, but if it does happen to you, you want the problem solved quickly, and that's a fantastic way to do it. Yeah, it's always good to avoid the he said, she said thing, because that usually gets you nowhere, and you never know if you're going to win on that battle for sure. But uh, we're talking about employment law red flags. Um, how about this one? Your employer gives you half of your coworkers' workload. Isn't that nice? And moves you to an office much further away. That's that's lovely. How do you handle that? Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of thing I shouldn't actually laugh because you know what? That is very, um, you know, these situations you don't realize how much they can impact you until you're in them. Um, and I can, I can tell you that this is the type of thing that would be very, very frustrating. Um, that you don't want to accept for uh, for whatever period of time and make it seem like you. I w I'm just going to use the, what the legal term is, which is condone that change. Mm -hmm. um, it's very important that, again, uh, to go back to that tip that we were talking about, to point that out in an email to your employer that you recognize kind of what has happened and you don't agree and even point out historically what your um, duties or what your work used to be, um, just in a polite email, um, and uh, simply say that you're 
prepared to go back to working on the terms that you had before because that's what you've done for X amount of time um, and make, make it clear that you're not going to accept that change because the worst thing that you could do is, again, stay silent, um, start just doing, picking up that extra work, um, working in that new office for, you know, further away, potentially to um, a different city that you have to commute longer to. Um, that, that can really become a, an accepted change as part of, part of your employment and uh, an implied change. Because um, as we were talking about, there's written terms of your employment contract, and then there's there can be verbal terms. And um, the type of behavior between you and your employer can also go to the terms of your employment. So it's very important, again, like you said, to have that as a written record and ensure that you um, make a request, essentially, to go back to your old terms. Or you're going to, if it gets serious enough, then you, you have other options, too. It can uh, start to look like something altogether different from what you were hired to do. And in some cases could be a constructive dismissal. So it's very important to watch out for those things. Yeah. And it's interesting too. You, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta make, you gotta make mention of it in writing as always, like we just mentioned as well, because if you don't, and this becomes an implied change, like you said, six mm-hmm. months down the road, you figure ah, they made this one change. Okay. I've learned to cope with it because I'm, I'm a company guy and I want to help out as much as I can. Well, now that you've kicked that door open for them, they can take full advantage and maybe throw more workload on you. And like you said, maybe you further down the hall or the building across the street. And by that point, there's a really scary and high probability that you won't be able to turn around and say, no, no, this time I'm not going to let you do it. Well, you did last time, so it's going to be a tough battle, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of times I will see this happening with people who are very agreeable and very accommodating, and they want to kind of work with, the company or work and give some chances or be flexible in the context of COVID. And there are still ways that you can do that. Um, a fantastic way, if, again, in writing, if you agree to the change for a short period of time, right. um, but make it clear that it's only that period of time that you're agreeing to. But, you know, it's very important that you do that in a specific way. Um, otherwise, you could, again, the fear would be that you give your employer the right to start making these changes um, in a little bit more of a, a, a way that significantly impacts you and um, your type of employment. So uh, the best thing that you can do regardless is make sure that this is a conversation you have with your employer and something that you follow up with a written email to um, essentially it's going to depend on on you. You know, do you want to, um, you know, is this change acceptable or not? And if it's not, you need to make sure you write, you know, write them about it. Welcome back to it. It is 444. Still got some minutes for a phone call. If uh, that's what you got in mind, do it now. Now is when you want to call through and ask Aaliyah any questions having to do with your job or calling on behalf of someone else. You could do that as well. 604-280-9898. In the meantime, back to our employment law red flags because there's a, a lot of them you need to know about. Okay, after a few years on the job, your employer asks you to sign, oh, look at that, a brand new employment agreement. While you've already been working for a few years, talk to me about it. Yes, yeah, so this can be a huge red flag. I'm thinking of a particular situation where this came up for somebody and um, they had already been working at a company for a period of time and they were put on a probationary period again. <sighs> that is not going to be allowed. So anytime you have a new employment agreement um, presented to you, you want to. I think that's a great opportunity to be very careful about what you're signing. Um, maybe in the beginning you had that new job excitement now you have this job, you should know that you still have a lot of options and rights and you should take that time to review it, um, particularly because it can include some clauses that are outright illegal, like that introduction of a probationary period that um, you should be aware of. That's not appropriate for an employer to ask you to do. Um, the other thing would be um, 
you know, anything that tries to not recognize your past years of service because that goes to the calculation of your severance. So something like that would be something to watch out for. And then if you are asked to sign something that includes a termination clause, that's going to be a very big limit to your severance. So um, a lot of times these clauses can be introduced uh, improperly. And sometimes um, there can be a bonus that's offered to you when you sign these new agreements to ensure that they do apply because um, they have to be introduced in a very specific way. So it's just something to watch out for, particularly if you're offered, say, a signing bonus or a continued employment reward, something like that. That's kind of uh, an indication that in your mind that should go off that maybe you want to have that employment agreement that you're being asked to sign be renewed because it could include, that's kind of like a way you can tell that you may be asked to sign some very significant clauses that limit your rights as an employee if you're offered a signing bonus. Um, so if that is happening to you, that is a perfect opportunity to have that employment contract reviewed. Um, other times it could just be maybe because there's a change of ownership. But again, it's just a, it's, it's a period of time that you should maybe spend a couple more minutes than, uh, than typical to make sure that you're reviewing and, and understanding everything that you're signing. Yeah, I think it's probably fairly safe to say that if you're in midstream employment and they get you or at least attempt to get you to sign a new employment agreement, it's all for their benefit. They're not really doing it for you. It's for something they've either learned to become aware of. So it's for their benefit that you sign. So much caution would be uh, taken. In fact, I would send it to you firstly and have you look over it before uh, you put your, your signature on it. And when you mentioned the the term, you know, they had to give you something, consideration for, for signing that employment agreement. It, even if they do that, that still doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's lock, stock, and barrel for them as far as being able to fall back on it, right? Well, you're right. That's the thing. So some, some of those clauses can be illegal. I think the reason why wow. I want to point this out to people um, in particular is because when it, you have continued employment, that's the time where I see a lot of these really seriously flawed clauses, either because they're yeah. trying to do something that you're not allowed to do altogether or because there's a very significant limit. And uh, what you mentioned is exactly what it's called is consideration for, for signing the contract. Anytime you have that, it's usually because they want it. So they're giving you something, but they're taking something away in return. That's really the definition of what consideration is. And so that has to flow both ways. So you can imagine if they're giving you that benefit or that bonus, they're taking something away. And that's just that, you know, that's essentially the legal reason why you have to be, uh, that's why it can be kind of like a, a red flag <laughs> that you're having something taken yeah. away from you and, and a great opportunity to be a little bit wary of what you're signing. If you're in the situation, how about this one? If you're in the situation where this uh, new employment agreement is in front of you, they are offering you something, they are giving you consideration for signing it. So, so far they've done the right thing. Can you still say, Without any sort of re without any sort of punishment, no, guys, I'm I'm not interested. I'm still not signing it because I'm already working here and have been for X number of years. So no, I still don't want to sign it. Can you do that? Absolutely. There's nothing that forces you to sign it. Um, a mm -hmm. lot of times, because what they are taking away is your severance entitlement. That's kind of like your opportunity to maintain your entitlement to your significant severance. So um, that's how you can assert your rights again. In turn, they could terminate you, but uh, right. they would have to provide you, say, that fair and that full amount of severance versus the one that they're trying to take away and probably limit to, you know, a matter of, of weeks instead of months. So um, that is your opportunity essentially to go. Maybe you want to uh, end that relationship, and then um, that, that's really their only option. Of course, they could also then continue just to employ you on the same terms as before. So there's different ways you can negotiate that situation depending on what your goal is. If you're if you find yourself kind of confronted with a contract.
Again, uh, still some time for you to call in if you have any questions about this stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, a million things are coming up in my head. You might be the same way. 604-280-9898 is the way to call through. And one of those, again, this is something you mentioned I find fascinating. You mentioned something about, you know, a probation period in there, which, of course, isn't going to hold water if you're already working there. When it comes, just to go sideways a little bit, when it comes to probation periods with BC law, employment law, is it anything beyond three months? I mean, can they... Number one, we know we can't do it if you're already working there. Employment, it's it's you know, and it. Number one, it's not automatic. Probation periods are they not not automatic? In other words, that that is a that's a creature of an employment agreement. Just because you start a new job down the street at this company or that company over there, you are not automatically on three months probation. Secondly, past three months, it doesn't matter if they put you on probation for six. Beyond three, do they not have to pay you some sort of severance if they do let you go within that six months? It's only for they three do. months legally. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah. you know, there's a lot of misconceptions around probationary yeah. periods. So I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, and this is the reason why. Okay. So you are absolutely right. You only have a probationary period if it's drafted specifically in your employment agreement. So that's something that you can keep an eye out for if it's truly the beginning of your employment. Like you said, cannot happen midway through your employment. That would give rise to what's known as a constructive dismissal claim mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. But if you're on a probationary period, this is where the confusion arises. One, it has, if it's drafted in your contract, it can be traditionally, say, anywhere from three months to six months. But after three months, there's an entitlement that the employee has to what's known as our statutory severance, which is our minimum severance um, standards. So they're entitled to one week after three months of employment. But um, just because they're on a probationary period also doesn't mean that they can be let go for any reason. Um, I think that... Um, you really need to be careful because if there's no terms written in about a probationary period in your contract, then um, a lot of these, most of this won't apply at all. Um, you're not going to be, say, limited to the Employment Standards Act minimums unless, again, there's a term that explicitly limits you. Otherwise, you could be entitled to much more, um, particularly if there's inducement and you were let go during the probationary period. So that's a, a fantastic way that those two issues could be tied together. But, um, you know, the, it's important, I guess, for people to know that you still have minimum severance entitlements, uh, even if it's less than the six months. The three to six months is just mostly something that's arbitrary that employers will include. And um, there's also a very specific set of rules that employers have to follow when instituting a probationary period. And it's not that they can let anybody go for any reason. They really do have to give them a fair and fighting chance. And if they don't, then they can make it, you know, the employee that's been terminated unfairly in a probationary period could still make a claim for um, a significant amount of severance. So probationary periods are basically host to a minefield of legal issues. <laughs> and wow. um, yes, it's, it's a very important topic to know about and be aware of if it is included in your contract because what you should know about probationary periods is that they're not what they seem. You still have uh, surprising rights if they are written into your contract. And a lot of times you should be aware that you're gonna be entitled to at least one week of severance, even if you're terminated. Um, within perhaps a six-month probationary period. This is why you need to reach out anytime to Aaliyah and, you know, either starting a job or even if you're an employer for that matter, you just got to do it. It's it's too important to sit back in your laurels and not get the information. 604 604- Two eight three thirty one twenty three is the way to do that. Let's move on to uh, to one more, a couple more. we still got some time. So you've asked your employer, say twice, to investigate sexual harassment by a coworker, but nothing has been done about it yet. I'm sure you've had this case. We have, and honestly, it's not uh, something that's ever pleasant to deal with. And part of the reason that I hope um, people listen in is so that they know what to do if they're faced with a situation. I truly hope that you are not 
but if this is something that is going on and um, a lot of times, again, we hear from people because they've tried to perhaps solve the issue themselves, themselves and they're not getting anywhere, there's places you can turn. In addition to, say, seeking private counsel uh, or an advocate for, for, for you in the situation, you can make a WorkSafe BC complaint um, because there are, there are rules in our WorkSafe uh, code that applies to every employer in the province that they have to have a functioning policy on bullying and harassment, which includes, of course, sexual harassment. Um, and so if they make that type of complaint, then it will be sent to an investigator at WorkSafe BC who will make an inquiry and then determine if the employer has a proper policy that solves those types of issues. If they don't, then there's a process where they can be essentially fined for not following that policy. You can also make a complaint under uh, a, the BC Human Rights Tribunal. And so um, sexual discrimination, sexual harassment, which is a type of sexual discrimination, mm -hmm. is uh, one of the protected grounds under the BC um, Human Rights Code. And so you have options there for making a formal complaint if you find that your employer is not taking those types of um, comments seriously. Um, so you do have some options and it's very important to know that you do. Um, in addition to say seeking private counsel, you can make you know, various other legal claims if, uh, if you find that's necessary. Um, hopefully, uh, I really hope though that you know, nobody has to go through that, but just know that you do have options if you are faced with those problems. Well, uh, we'll get to one more here, but uh, i got about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes left in the show. Uh, your employer simply says, you know what, ah, you're not the right fit for the job, and they fire you, but they fire you for cause. How about that? Yeah, so I think a lot of, um, a lot of what we talk about is just um, knowing that there are certain limits that an employer has to meet um, before they're able to do something, and it's not simply at, at will or at, at, you know, on a whim. One of those is the probationary period. Simply because you're on a probationary period doesn't mean you can be fired really on the employer's whim. Mm -hmm. um, being fired for cause is another one of those scenarios. There is a threshold that your employer has to meet. Um, it can't be because you're simply not the right fit. It would have to be for something very serious. Um, in fact, it would have to be for something that they would be able to plausibly say makes continued employment impossible or make, right. makes your employment relationship with them um, impossible to continue. So uh, it's going to be something, not even performance improvement really, until it gets to a very, very high level would, would meet that threshold. Um, we're looking at something like theft or um, dishonesty or um, really an inability to do your main job duties after usually a series of problems has happened that have, and has been recorded and right you've been a provided an opportunity to improve before that would be the case. Um, it's not going to be for something like a personality conflict if that otherwise has nothing to do with the functions of your job and what you've been hired to do. So it's just important to know that there is a threshold for that type of thing and simply being the wrong fit is not going to be sufficient for you know an employer to terminate you for cause. And that'll just about do it for another afternoon. We appreciate you sticking around for it. You want to reach out now that uh, you have some questions possibly after the show. Aaliyah, ready to take them at 604-283-3123. And you can email help at employmentlawyer.ca and, as mentioned, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Free anonymous website you can use anytime as well. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show, this is CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.